Hello and welcome to By the Bug. Uh, this is our second episode in our little NaNoWriMo mini-series. I'm joined as ever by Becky. Hello. Chris. Hello. And Jamie. Hello. We all went for a hello this week. This, I know. Yeah. Very cool, guys. It's, it's good. I'm liking it. I felt, I felt the pressure of going last. I'm not going to lie. It's like, you all nailed your hellos. I'm like, right, okay, I'm ready for this. <laughs> this has got to be Jamie. good now. Jamie, I felt like they increased in severity, actually. <laughs> I'll let you into a secret. I didn't really say hello. Oh, my God. And Sam. Hey. Oh, it wasn't hello. Oh. Well, I'm editing myself out of the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice while it lasted. Yeah. So this is our second week of recording. How have we all done? Becky? Do- to be fair, because I started late, it's actually like my second week of writing too. <laughs> I'm going because with that I, too. Yeah, I did um, <laughs> did start late as discussed last week. Um, so I have kind of gotten to where I said I would get last week. So that's something. That's good. Mm. Um yeah, I've pretty much got to that kind of turning point place. I'm still not anywhere near where I believe I should be at this point, but I'm actually less bothered than that about that this week than I was last week. Does that make sense? I still want to get to 50k, but I'm not feeling as much pressure to do it because I'm still, you know, I've still managed to write a lot more than I ever have before. Yeah. So like you've reached your own personal goal, like? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Because um, as I said last week, I've only ever written short fiction, so the fact that I'm now at just about 13,000 words, um, that's, you know, 12,000 longer than anything else I've ever written, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're doing all right, actually. Jamie, you were about to say. I was just say, going to say, can I ask, like, what, what's your Prime Minister done this week? What, what escapades have they got <laughs> up to? Jamie, let me tell you, she... I'm really looking forward to reading she yours. She <laughs> is just a little madam, you know. Oh, um, really? Well, okay, so she turned up in the other protagonist story. She'd only been in, in like, one half, like, one storyline. And then she turned up with the other one, completely unfucking announced and I was like, oh, hey... I didn't even know you were going to be in this storyline, and yet, hello, here you are. Um, but she was really pleasant to the other one. Oh, I was like, okay, so she's preferential treatment. I was to like, one. plot thickens. I mean, the other one is a criminal, so I <laughs> okay, feel like right. she hasn't treated her very well because of that, because of how long her criminal record is. So I feel like that's <laughs> where it's coming from. But yeah, it was just really interesting. Um, but the uh, the new storyline that she's in, the person isn't is very naive, but isn't quite buying it. Isn't quite buying the act. Um, and they both they both say a certain line, which is like, um, and then Colton Brown smiled, a politician's smile. Ooh. And they and they both say both storylines, both protagonists say it in exactly the same way. So that's quite a nice little interesting thing. Nice. It's, it's um, a lot of my world building is stuff like that. It's like things that are just kind of universal 
So like everybody knows what that politician's smile is. And, you know, there's sort of lots of things like that and consistencies between these different characters, which I quite like. So yeah, that's what the prime minister's right. up to this week. Hasn't drugged anyone, so I feel like I feel like she's <laughs> on the up. Can I just jump on the world building week? thing? Uh, when you're talking about finding these touchstones that kind of relate to the leader and or uh, things that culturally we understand, you know, smiles a politician smiles. So we all know what that means. Mm. I'm finding that really hard in my book, as I discussed last week, kind of saying mother, father, mum. I'm trying to find things that where I can relate to what the reader is getting because I've been reading The Lies of Lot Lamora, and that's a mm. intensely difficult book to get into. The first chapter, I was I was almost giving up on it because I was just like, you're just throwing concepts at me left, right, and center without explaining anything, and I'm struggling to get through to the the meat of the story. But in 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 that book, I find that the more he kind of hump, uh, lumps things that you don't understand you kind of get them by inference and what i'm trying to okay. do is make sure that when i'm writing i'm including things that the reader can relate to without having to read the rest of the book to understand so i'm finding that i'm having to make a lot of cultural touchstones like i've introduced a, a university and there's an administrative building and uh, and there's a town guard and they have lots of similar weapons they're not called you know, I mean, this is a fantasy universe where stuff's massively different to our world. Mm. But I'm not calling long swords something other than long swords. I'm calling bits of armor that we're familiar with by the same names, just so people don't have to kind of reimagine the world around what I want it to, just so I ha so, just so I can try and show it's a different world. So, so are you saying okay. that you're you're feeling almost pressure to keep it? relating to this world and you'd kind I'm, of like to drop in a bit more like you'd like it to be I'm, different i'm feeling the pull on both sides i want i want it to be different so that the reader's interested and kind of wants to understand more about the world and how it works but as a fantasy novel there are certain kind of things that are expected i mean not all fantasy novels have swords and sorcery in but this one definitely does, mm. and I'm definitely using those tropes in order to expedite the story on without having to do a whole lot of explaining. Because I understand when you go to... When I'm reading a lot of sci-fi books, I find a lot of the stuff's bogged down with trying to explain how uh, this MacGuffin works or how this works. And I'm like, okay, so I needed to understand that to, ex to get the plot to work, but it was quite it was explained in a clumsy way and so when i want to do stuff that's new and interesting i kind of have to explain it in a way so we as as the novel uh, the magic system works off a resource not everyone has an innate magic ability and just kind of fires stuff out the hand or uses the wand there is a resource called god's blood or whatever i'll decide to call it in december um <laughs> but it's basically a conductive uh, liquid metal that they use to channel whatever magic they're doing. And they, they tend to have it as like a little pool in the palm of their hand if they're doing something like that, or mm. they can use it in a different form. But trying to explain that to the reader... In a way that's not massively clunky. Exactly, in a way that's not massively yeah. clunky, where I can still say, look, they need to do this to do magic. At the same time, I want them to just go... 
yeah, that's just how magic works here, without just pulling down like a, a rough, like a a chalkboard and explaining how the entire magic system works. Is that that's as yeah. A, as a kind of counterpoint, have you read any Brandon Sanderson? I was literally about to say that, Chris. Mm, love some Sanderson. His um, Mistborn trilogy uses a very complex magic system that's quite scientific in the way he's designed it, but the, he introduces it through um, a character who doesn't get it. So she has her own kind of mythos on what it works. She just calls it her luck. And then as she learns how it works, so does the reader, to the point where by the end of maybe the first third of the first book, she he literally says to you, she burns tin, she burns steel, and you know what it does. Yeah, you and you, you know what action yeah. to expect from that. And there, there's, there's 16 different metals that are used in that book that all do different things at different times. Oh, that's very cool. And... He, he, because of the way he manages to build it in through the character, you mm. don't feel like he's trying to explain it to you. And there's also there's also like th- like two other magic systems that get introduced. Yeah, and you, and by Don't but you always metal, know. So that... Yeah, you always know like what it's going to do and how the it magic works. systems that I've always understood the best. Uh, obviously, the one that I find works best in my head the the Aragon magic system i can't remember what it was but it was all about kind of the life essence and that's how i understood kind of bioaccumulation and energy within food trophic systems which is a lot of the stuff i work with but uh in patrick Rothstein's uh king killer chronicles the sympathy jamie is it sympathy yes yeah, well it's sympathy in his naming yeah sympathy yeah. i find best it's almost like conservation of energy uh, it's kind yeah of- being a physicist of having a physics background for me like sympathy was a really interesting magic system because it there's a lot of the laws of it kind of trying to relate to like things like the laws of thermodynamics and stuff so it's quite quite logical that's that's one of my favorite magic systems because i could kind of understand the mechanics of it and then when the writer wanted to do something amazing all he had to do was break one of those rules it's kind of like yep this is exactly how sympathy works oh look there's something crazy that's not how sympathy is meant to work, and everybody. Ah, see, uh, that that kind of, that, that really annoys me a little bit. I like um, the systems that show what's amazing, not by someone breaking the rules, but by someone using them in a novel way. Oh, I agree entirely. But I, I I understand sometimes if you want to astound your reader or confound them, you really build on these laws and rules to the understanding of whoever's teaching them, and then either morphing them or changing them to show a change in course or a new understanding of how that works but i agree that uh whenever you want to follow a clever protagonist and then you've shown them all the base elements of how these magic systems work when you see them compiling and compositing these as a layer of systems you're like oh so he's doing this and then this and then oh my god yeah no that's gonna and then it works i agree that's one of the more uh, what's the word? Oh, so I think you can do it like the way you say, where you can say, here's these set of rules, oh look, here's something that's an exception. Mm. But unless it's handled really well, I feel like that might come across as a deus ex machina. Yeah, it's definitely. like, oh, I can't get out of this situation without breaking the rules that I've spent so long establishing. And unless that's handled in a way that means that the characters have got it wrong, rather than the reader has mm. got it wrong, then yeah. I feel like that can be a bit of a slap in the face. That's an important and distinction, that... isn't it? It's not necessarily... Um... Yeah, as you said, it's not the it's the characters getting it wrong, not the reader. Yeah, that's an important distinction to make because if if the characters suddenly go, oh, we've misunderstood how our world works, as opposed to you as the writer setting up all these rules, getting your audience to to buy into them, and then going, oh, never mind, you did all that work, you remembered how this works, and you know, fuck you, that's not how it works anymore. Yeah, definitely. I I think those are the come, best ways of doing it. Yeah, 
if I can cite can cite for books, one of the favorite uh, fictions that I follow, uh, where they've got a magic system and every everybody has to apply by it, and loads of people misunderstand it or think they're better than it, is the Full Metal Alchemist anime series, mm-hmm. where they've just got. Uh, if anyone's not watched it, it's it's very similar to Laws of Thermodynamics. They can change. Uh, energy into different forms but there are limits you cannot create or destroy energy and the costs of breaking those rules are you just die you just die instantly or your limbs are irreparably removed and the main basis of the story is trying to find loads of people who are megalomaniacs effectively and are trying to usurp or overthrow those rules because they are better than those and everyone fails because the rules are um they are the ultimatum of how that works. So it actually sets up a really interesting dynamic in terms of a, a reason for plot as being that immutable, unchangeable nature of it all. Yes. So I quite like that. So Sam, how is the rest of your writing? Oh, Except God. for this, I mean, the, this ongoing problem. <laughs> the the writing itself has been very difficult for me this week. I, I have very long hours at my job and I'm trying to get uh, do a lot of outside work activities to keep me healthy and stuff and so I'm finding not very much time for writing and then when I am I'm hitting real big blocks I've done really well today uh, because I've I was really bullying myself and writing about stuff that I didn't quite understand and I think that that was the wrong way to go I should just skip over the sections where I'm trying to write something I, I don't have full grasp over and I should just skip to the bits I'm really good at uh, the bits I was really good at was kind of explaining to the character uh, that the character's not going to be very good in this university setting. It's stuff I've experienced as a person with dyslexia where they're like, look, this education system's difficult. And then you think, no, everybody does it. It's going to be fine. But as a person with learning difficulties, you need to examine your limitations and understand how you're going to work with them or abandon a certain line of education or whatever and I and, and writing that for the character has been very interesting, showing him being initially very upset that someone basically said, you're thick as pig shit and you can't do this, to him then getting angry, and then him coming full circle and going, actually, the person who told me I was too thick was kind of right. I'm not able to do these things. And I've just done a whole sword fighting s- sequence, which I'm... Uh, which I'm learning about because it's a very physical movement. I, me as a person is very good at learning those things. And so I've just written a whole section and I, I was blasting words left, right and centre. So I'm doing quite well there. It's a very uh, vivid really way of speaking wise. about writing. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was, I th- I've thrown in so many little cheeky jokes for, I think just myself. I've named a lot of the characters after <laughs> real world sword masters. And I don't think, there's going to be a very small subsection of people who are going to get those jokes, but oh, that's it cool, worked though. for me. And it's I cool, though. That's it. good. Sorry, I, I I hopped on your bit and I ranted for quite a while. <laughs> that's fine. I was, yeah, um, without getting into stuff that we'll probably talk want to talk about in a separate section, that's kind of all I had to say anyway. Okay. Chris? You never said where you were word count wise, Sam. Mm. That's because yes, I'm not willing to admit <laughs> that I'm only at 3,700. So that is oh, okay, w- yeah, it's However, way Sam, how many of those have you done today? Uh, about 1,200. And I still think I've got another 500, 600 words in me today. See, that's nice. a really good day. 
So, Thank you, you know, back Again, off. it's the, the irony of setting a deadline for myself about a book about dyslexia where <laughs> I need to have extended deadlines yeah. for things. I, don't worry, I am fully aware of the... <laughs> Of the ire of the situation. situation. Yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> See, I'm at the other end of the spectrum um, in every way imaginable, unfortunately. <laughs> um, today, so far, my total stands at 36,554. Oh my god! I thought you were about to talk about your, your daily word count at first. Was <laughs> like 36. <laughs> you said thousand, I was like, what? Oh no. Chris's oh, yeah, fingers sorry. are actually just. Logic on fire at the moment and he's having to like <laughs> douse them I'm on my third set today <laughs> um, my problem is I've actually completely run out of plotline oh no uh, my character has reached the end of her story she's kind of dealt with everything she needed to deal with and there is nothing left for her after this that is so rude and I've, yeah so I've still got 14,000 dog words to fill I have no idea how I'm going to do that. <laughs> have you done a prologue with the mother? Well, what I'm doing now, because I definitely want the whole process, the whole journey of her to be on her own. Mm. Like, there is a minor twist at the end that <gasps> challenges that assumption um, that came to me yesterday. But otherwise, I want it to be her journey on her own. So I'm trying to find a way to work in kind of flashbacks but I don't want it to feel too much like and then I sat down and thought about things yeah, yeah. like I'm trying <laughs> to find a way to make it organically fit in with the story and not so much for it to be a flashback that she's experiencing but something that is very specifically just for the reader oh yes um, and that I don't want her to, to be do. thinking I don't want her to be thinking about what about the things that have happened in the past I want for example it to be like she's sorting out stuff in her mother's room finds a hairbrush puts it into a box and then there's just a little section that she doesn't relate to in any way, but it's just this snapshot scene of a conversation between her and her mother about brushing hair. Yeah, exactly. She's doing a thing, and then Vincent Price comes in. And now, dear reader, we take you to another part of history. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing where it suddenly... But, but, so I don't want it to be too connected to her. So at the moment, I'm just kind of going through and writing all of these random little scenes that I bet that's quite fun. may or may not get used. It is, but I'm also feeling like because it's just these little scenes where I'm thinking like I need to try and find the pivotal part of this interaction. It just feels like I'm writing loads of really melodramatic moments. <laughs> it's like uh, this is yeah. the most penultimate thing. It's the most important thing of that week. And it's like, well, yeah, but like it makes it look like their entire relationship is the most tumultuous thing that ever happened. And and we're back to all of my previous writing. <laughs> it's always the most dramatic point. I... Well, this is the thing that I, I found hilarious. Say was I sitting there like I started this thing talking last week about how I ne I, I always scale way too big. I'm always massively overthinking everything, and today I'm like I have run out. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you feel if say there wasn't the fifty thousand word target as part of this uh, this challenge? Mm. Would you be at the point where you go maybe I'd stop actually? Do you feel it's done? Yeah. No, it's. I don't think it is. I think at this point I would start editing and the word count would go massively up because the stuff I've got at the end of the story, I, I've laid foundations, but they are nowhere near as solid as they needed to be to have the payoff feel right. So a lot of what I'm going to be doing from here on is working out what was missing in that setup and what moments I can use to emphasize it. It's and doing those ready is... to slot back in. Doing those are important. I think you're right. When you set these expectations with the reader and you set these and you basically point at them going, look here, this is important. It'll be useful later. 
if you find i've found a few narratives that have really done that and then just left those by the wayside and you're like oh well i was what about this? interested in yeah and yeah. i hate to look at other media but mass effect when they just kind of went all oh, of these choices matter and then they just didn't matter in the end so you really have a different kind telltale Ooh, telltale yeah. games always do that that's the whole thing they do yeah it's like this would be important they will remember that no they won't <laughs> it's a lie Actually, I think that looking at games is actually a really good idea when it comes to writing. Like One of my entire mechanics for my story of how she's getting the history of this place she's in, I stole right from Everyone's Gone to the Rapture. Oh yeah, you mentioned that last time, didn't you? Yeah, so I think it is really important. I, I, I think that, particularly with some games, narrative is so intelligently explored that it is... It, I, I honestly think people should stop reading and just start playing certain games. Mm. <laughs> I... I yeah. I actually find that that's causing me issues with my writing is because in games you tend to play a very linked up plot unless it's linked by cutscenes. You know, you literally do everything from the start of the story until the end of the story. Whereas sometimes in my book I'm like, I don't really need him to walk to this place. I don't need him to do this. He just needs to be there. He just needs to be there. And the reader can make these jumps and assumptions. But because I'm basically playing through my character, um, I'm like, right, okay, I have to do this. Oh, I kind of have to do this tutorial. I'm like, no, I don't. The reader can assume I know how to do X or do Y. Is that kind of like touching upon what you were talking about last week where you felt that you were writing about things, say, he walks down the corridor to get to the administration's office when you just go, mm, maybe he just is there because it saves you like two lines where maybe someone's not too fussed about what's actually been written. Yeah, and, and I find it's this weird dynamism between I want to, obviously the word counts a target that I want to get to, but it's also sure. almost forcing me to go, right, we'll have this entire conversation with the administrator, whereas I can actually cut it fairly early and they can assume they said, oh, goodbye, have a nice day, do you know the way out? Okay, yes. They can just have, <laughs> these aren't necessary, but at the same time, I want to hit a word count. Hmm. Well, uh, do you think that you're just overthinking it? Do you think that actually it's it should be at this I mean, point more the... about getting it out? Overthinking motto of this podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> poss- possibly. I mean, when I find that... But I you're really sort of have self-editing be... before you've even written anything. I'm doing a lot of kind of cognizant whilst I'm writing... And because writing takes me a very long time, A, because I've got quite clumsy fingers, and B, because, as you say, I'm doing a lot of grammar editing, I'm having to be very cognizant about these scenes as I'm picturing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like, right, okay, I'm coming to the point of where I wanted to get to this scene. Am I okay to just jump forward? But if I'm not being that cognizant, I find that I just keep writing and writing and writing until I'm like, shit, this is really boring. But I need to be more cognizant of... Right, I've reached the bit that I want to, and this is wrapped up neatly so the reader can go, cool, I understand what that scene was, and I understand what happened. On to the next one. It might be good to think about it, not so much in terms of have I reached what I wanted to, but have I explored what this scene needs to explore? Because there are some scenes that the actual plot points might only take four or five lines of dialogue, but the experience of that character in that situation is better dragged out to show trepidation, anxiety, difficulty. Yeah, to show how they're feeling about it. So you don't don't tell yourself you need to cut off too soon just because you've hit the point you needed. If you can show something about your character, your main character or the character they're with 
through dragging that out further, that might really serve your narrative. Okay. That's I mean, interesting. especially if you've got that idea of difficulty and challenges yeah. and struggling through it. Yeah, I, 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 the weird, I, obviously because I've not written that much, I, I go back to the same points, but this administrator is a very weird guy. I basically, uh, the character walked up to the university and was told, you need to register. I was like, okay, so then went into an admin building and basically just got interviewed by this bald man who started lecturing him on the importance of magic and his education, of which I reduced his education to, I know numbers and letters. He's like, were you taught le- numbers and letters at school? He's like, yes, as well as stuff on the farm. Because so I was like, what, what do I say? You went to sixth form? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then the administrator basically manages to mani- magically clone himself, leave the room, and then the clone starts lecturing him on the futility of uh, taking on challenges bigger than himself. And, and it's kind of... My main character's just astounded that... a a copy can be made of a human being and it's lecturing him on workloads and things so it's kind of showing in that scene I was trying to show how weird this world is that he stepped into from a very normal-ish yeah, uh, kind of how different setting. it is for him so I'm, I'm hoping I've achieved that in this one and I'm, I'm kind of more exploring it in terms of how he feels with other characters and I think I need to when I go back to editing kind of explore have I yeah, you're right. Have I achieved all I can do in this scene, as well as hitting on the main plot points? And I think that's that's going to be an interesting thing. But I've not. But it's something I haven't really thought about when writing before. So it's definitely different. That's the reason why I have my uh, mind map in front of me because it's mostly just things that I want to explore at some point. So I just try to make sure when I'm. When I'm not sure if I'm happy with where a scene's going or what I'm doing with that, I kind of just look down and I'm like, am I hitting at least two of these? Hmm. I want to make sure that I'm bringing in at least two of these themes or ideas that I want to deal with, because if I'm not, then the scene needs to end, and I will find a new scene. Otherwise, I'm like, no, I'm hitting these points. I want to explore this. I will keep it going. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Jamie? How's it going? So I've had a really up and down week. Um, after last week's podcast we recorded, I felt like really motivated, really good. Uh, went away, busted out uh, another say five hundred words or something after we'd finished. So felt felt good about myself. Then in the next two or three days, I just had a total lack of motivation, and that's more of a personal like problem more than anything else. But it was something that was quite hard to deal with. Um, and then the way I kind of managed to get myself back on track this week kind of brings back to that uh, the mind map stuff you just talked about, Chris. Um, I basically stole yours as a template and built my own up. Um, I'm honoured. No, honestly, it's because because I've I've as a way of writing, I've not done that before. I've I've planned stuff out, but it's never been in such a a visual format that's kind of easy to follow. It's always been just blocks of text, basically. Um, so I I spent a day or so just really fleshing out my mind map stuff and you know what themes I want to hit, what um, who my main characters are and some of their key traits, the kind of main events I wanted to include in in the in the plot I guess, and that really got me back on track. So the last few days this week have been much better, but I'm still, you know coming from the caveat that I started a week late as well as uh, having a bad few days, I'm at around about six or seven thousand words now. Oh, well, that's so, good. I'm not not too bad. Um, would you find but, yeah. if you did that mind mapping and prep stuff at the start? Do you think you would have had a more 
consistent journey in writing. God, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Let's get the. Honestly, things. that's been a really, yeah, really nice technique just to use. And you know, if I find myself, if let's say I have a couple of hours where I'm just really struggling to get words down on the page, or at least words I feel are good, mm-hmm. I can just go back to maybe expanding on one of the scenes that's going to happen in the plot and some of the um, the things that I really want to get across with that, whether that's just a feeling of, of trepidation or um, maybe something that comes back to like some sort of symbology I want to get across, whether that's like light versus darkness or something like that. I'm just plucking random examples out of the air. But, um, yeah, that's been... That, I'd say that technique's been quite useful for me, so... Um, really, I'm just here to listen to some more of you guys talking and giving me tips on how to do stuff this week, guys. Oh, yeah, I need a new tip stop, for this week now, my grift. <laughs> <laughs> it was, To be honest, Sam, it was quite interesting hearing you talk about the the problems you face with the magic system and how much of that you need to kind of get across. Mm. Because, I mean, because I'm writing a sci-fi, it's, it's almost the same problem in a way. Obviously, yeah. it's not magic, but say it's more of a technological aspect, and I've found from my personal experience as being a reader that fantasy and sci-fi I read, I prefer it where it's some of it's it does require a, a leap of not a leap of faith, more of a the the reader to assume that something just works as opposed to say going into the nitty gritty of oh this piece of technology does X Y and Z and this is exactly how it works and spends like the next ten pages telling you how this works. I I find that really slows the plot down and. I prefer reading sci-fi and stuff where it's almost just like, yeah, we've got this piece of technology. No one really cares. No one's going to tell you about how it works because it's so commonplace. And so, yeah, like, I, 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 if I was writing a story about me now, I'm not going to tell you how exactly how a phone works, for instance, a smartphone. No, exactly. Whereas if I was a reader 30 years ago, I'd be like, what the hell are they talking about? I prefer that, that when they do that, but I find when they have to explain a bit of technology because it's complicated. I, because I, I much prefer in Asimov because basically he just says. There's a positronic brain in a lot of things, and that kind of yeah. gets the plot moving. You're there, like, all right, the machine has a brain that pretty much functions at a limited yeah. rate, like a human brain, and and you can just pretty much get along with that because it's got the word positronic, and you're like, sounds technical and brain sounds science, yeah, that's yeah. It, yeah, and you're there, like, yeah. and you're like, I have genuinely done that a few times. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're right that you know you can't obviously go through the whole book doing that. There are going to have to be some bits where you kind of get some information across of how some of this stuff works because otherwise it's, it's just unrelatable. it's just knowing like when when to go into that amount of detail and when not to so if you can get away with just saying like possible to like doodah then that's fine but if there's something that's yeah. plot relevant and important and it's important that they understand how that's working and that's significant then you can go into it it's just it's just well, sort good of... examples of um, things that of sci-fi that never explains anything Star Wars is probably my go-to yeah. the original the original trilogy of Star Wars doesn't explain a single piece of technology or the force or anything like the whole oh, as soon way... as they start talking about midi-chlorians I'll, I'll just yeah. gasp in no, horror but, but, yeah. the whole way through the original trilogy though you don't know how a lightsaber works you don't know how the Death Star works it just you don't does know how the Millennium Falcon works hyperdrives yeah like it, it's, it's, it's that's what you'd call kind of soft sci-fi um, whereas yeah. something like The Martian, I don't know if anyone's read The Martian. I, have, I haven't seen the, the film, Martian. so I don't know how much it matches up. But with the book, that is very, very much a hard sci-fi book. That is, this is exactly how this piece of technology works and why it sustains this biome of... of an and in fairness, and that was really in- integral to the plot because it was to try and keep him alive for exactly. longer. This is, so it is, That's it his is thought process, isn't it? I can understand 
Yeah, yeah, it kind of depends on what you're going for in terms of why you're doing sci-fi. If you're going for the root of the, the kind of the set dressing of it because um, and the actual science side of it isn't so important, then go for soft sci-fi. Don't explain anything you don't need to. Yeah, that's, an audience that's will follow the approach you. I'm taking. Like Star Wars well, I, is the perfect example. If they have <laughs> yeah. no, no explanation, none of it is realistic in any sense of that word, and yet it is the biggest franchise on this planet. Yeah, I think it. I think with sci-fi, and I think Star Wars can almost become science fantasy when they do start to break it down and explain it. It, it removes that kind of mystery and and why we're yeah. interested in it. Like, oh, everyone wants to be a Jedi because it's mysterious and interesting. As soon as you actually explain how it works, it's like, all oh, right, so he's just gone. Yeah, and then when I see a load of schematics for lightsabers and things, I'm like. Just tell me there's a light light coming out at the end of a stick. I, I did have a guy trying to... Because I follow a lot of sword fighting stuff. And this guy tried to explain to me how lightsabers work as an actual saber. He's like, well, it grips because of this. And the handle's very heavy. I'm like, I don't care. It's a piece of light stabbing through a bit of yeah. metal that can vaporise people. Done, dusty. <laughs> this is all I need. And I mean, everyone has different yeah. preferences in terms of the detail they want to go into. I'm sure lots of people, you know... Are really interested by the inner workings of a lightsaber. I think for the, uh, the average layman like you and me, yeah, I think the fact that it is a light source that can cut through shit—that's all right for me. <laughs> that's fun enough. Can I, I like swords. Can I put that cool. on like a picture of you, Jamie? That quote there. That, that can be. You can put that on. A mug. Yeah, that's such that's, a mug uh, like yeah. T-shirt quote, isn't it? <laughs> I I, w- I mean. Go on, Chris. You were saying. So I was going to say it was like you were saying earlier, uh, earlier, Jamie. Though it's when you were comparing it to Sam's writing. Like in a lot of respects, unless you need it to be detailed, sci-fi is magic. It's a thing yeah. that does a thing, and you don't know, need to know why. Mechanically, exactly, yeah. in a narrative, it can serve exactly the same function. So give it the same kind of treatment. Don't expect that you need to be too. Yeah, technical. especially since yeah. the characters live there, they don't need to explain it. You know. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I try and come at it from the perspective of well. If it's something that my characters would just... It's such an innate part of their life. And again, come back to the smartphone sort of analogy. Yeah. You just wouldn't... You would take it for granted that if you were talking to someone from this area or if they were talking to someone from their area, they wouldn't need to explain. Oh, yes, isn't it cool? I I don't know if any of you have watched um, The Expanse on... Yeah. um, It's on Netflix now, but I think it was a sci-fi TV one. That, That was a show that was quite good for just some of the stuff it's just not they don't explain why it's I don't know everyone has like these glass phone things because it just doesn't need to happen it's just taken for granted yeah there's a lot of stuff that they just kind of introduce and allow you to understand how it works by everyone's interaction with it and they're harvesting ice for water and there's a water shortage so you just tie those two together and the the interplanetary tensions which are very apparent with a lot of the stuff in the expanse I find that works well but going to technology where they don't explain it a whole lot but it just works uh, in Philip K. Dick's Do Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep I'm pretty sure they've got like an emotions um, thing where they just program in an emotion they want and then press it I think that's in the first scene in the book and it just explained it really well it's like I'm feeling shit so I programmed in some happy or some grass or something and it just made me feel better. And then that was it. That was all that was explained. And it worked really well. And if I can get myself to the point where I'm comparing myself to Philip K. Dick, then I know I've done something right. <laughs> I will constantly... I'm a ways off, unfortunately. I will constantly <laughs> compare you to Philip K. Dick. 
That's because you're a numpty. But there you go. <laughs> Choice words. I know. I had to. I don't know why I felt I had to restrain myself. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, say, I'd on, say broadly that's on the sci-fi front. Asimov is a really good example of it because uh, he is kind of heralded as being this massive figure in real sci-fi, and yet the actual technology wasn't what he was interested in in the slightest. It was the philosophy of it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like so, it's 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 another good example of that kind of you don't need any of the backing of science and technology to do sci-fi, and yet his ideas could only be explored in sci-fi, and that's why it's used as that setting. Yeah. I've found something similar with reading. I don't know if any of you guys have read um, Ursula K. Le Guin, or how you pronounce her, her name. Um, she's kind of similar for that. That She explores these quite philosophical um, questions, I guess, and doesn't feel the need to use technology as like a crutch to you know allow a plot to work it's more of a as you say like she could only explore those ideas in in that sort of setting i think as you say she and asimov seem to be using emotions and real philosophies as a touchstone of which we can relate to and then the technology is kind of lubricating the story along and i find a uh, what was i reading i was reading one of the eve the online uh multiplayer game eve books and i found it the characters were emotionless and kind of I, I I don't know whether that was the point but it, it did feel like because they weren't being angry or upset or or kind of showing any kind of empathy towards one another it was basically just them going and look how the game works and this is a thing oh, that God. happens in the game and it was just kind of categorising a load of events and less about you played the game, no one there has emotions I mean, actually yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is true but it, it wasn't kind of it's dealing with real. the fact that you know, all the pilots are clones of one another, or how that made anyone feel if they met another. What's it? If I was going to read an Eve book, I want them to explore the fact that as soon as a ship is destroyed, there is a clone of that person who wakes up knowing that their other version of themselves is dead. Oh, exactly. Ooh. I mean, there, I want that as a plot. There, there was that's a, cool. Really I, good, I, I don't yeah. know anything about Eve, but that's well cool. That, well, that, yeah, that's their that's their um, mechanic for when you die. It's the case if you have a clone stored in stasis somewhere on Earth on a space station and when your ship is destroyed it sends a signal to the space station and they wake up your clone and you start all over again that's so yeah and weird. your insurance pays out it's 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 very um it's dark it's very post-human yeah. stuff and it's interesting uh, there was an interaction between two pilots of these massive ships and they basically just they just had sex and there wasn't any emotion there wasn't like they hadn't met before and go oh this clone's different or I don't like who you are as this clone, and or explaining anything like that. It was just there, like, oh, hey, good to meet you. Let's bang in the zero G tank. Let's do it. Because that's cool. That's so romantic. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Anyway, I mean, that might just be because they're bringing in the tropes of sci-fi being this post-society thing where yeah. morals are weaker, and there's more of this kind of it's. It's the idea of kind of tolerance and progression taken to its furthest extreme, and mm. there's a lot of that in sci-fi. Like Aldous Huxley was, like as much as his writing was phenomenal, there's a lot of that in his. If you read um, uh, Brave uh, New World, Brave New World, that's what I'm thinking of. There's a lot I'm of free sexuality in that. Mm. There is a lot kind of looser feelings towards that, and there's a the distancing because of it. I found when I was reading that. Mm. Okay. 
well, it sounds like we've we've covered a lot of ground on our. <laughs> Becky, did you not have some reporting to do? I do. It's funny you say that. I do. Um, so I, as I said last week, I've joined the the Norfolk Nano Writers group on Facebook. Um, and if you go on to the NaNoWriMo website, you can see the um, the regions and stuff, and you can assign yourself to a region. Um, and the people that coordinate that region, um, they can put events on there and stuff. But I've I've sort of accessed it mine, mainly through Facebook. Um, and they're they're all really active and they're all really nice. Um, but they do meetups essentially um so i went to one today mm, do tell us more it was really good um so it's at a cafe uh, in norwich and and i was talking to people there about how they were doing and somebody else was doing a sci-fi book so that was quite cool so we had a little sort of sci-fi nerd chat um and then and then yeah and, and it was quite kind of it's quite weird because we all sort of met for the first time ever and somebody found me in the corner because um, I was like, I think I got there a bit early so I just posted on the group like, I'm wearing a denim jacket and I have a cheese scone, come find me. Um, <laughs> and somebody did. Uh, so we all sort of said hi and met for the first time and then it was pretty much laptops open everybody just started to write. Um and I was like, oh, okay, so we're just, okay, right, straight in, okay, great. Um, so it just started writing, and um, Sam and I did some sprints together, uh, which, pretty cool. if you don't know what they are, you can go onto the NaNoWriMo website and um, do a thing called a sprint, and you can set it up on there. It's pretty easy to do. You just type in uh, whether you want a single one, so you can do one on your own, or you can do one in a group. Um, we obviously did a group one. Uh, you set in how much time you want it to last essentially you could share the link with people and you all go into like a a kind of chat room as it were and there's a timer so I put in 15 minutes for each of us and it counts down and then um and then at the end you have to update your word total yeah I I thought that was pretty cool you just kind of and it goes so where you're at now and I was like yeah yeah, and then um, it then it shares with everybody else where you are in terms of your word count and, and like well no not your word count but how many you did over that time, so it's kind of yeah. a competitive edge to it. But also, um, I was speaking to one of them, and she was like, "You're almost in competition with yourself." So so yesterday, for instance, I did three word sprints on the trot with like a ten minute break in between each one, and each time I mm. did more than I did the time before. So suddenly, by the end of like an hour and a half, I suddenly had seven hundred words. There's actually there's a productivity um, technique called the Pomodoro. Yes, I love it I so love much. It. That's it. That, it's the same kind of idea. It is totally as the word sprint in that respect. Could, you, could who, you explain it to someone like me? For people who don't <laughs> know, um, insert just aside. Pomodoro means um, tomato in Italian. Um, but it's basically you do 25 minutes of solid work and with no distractions, just head down, get through it. You then take a five minute break and you kind of break it up into chunks like that. The way um, the way it's kind of recommended, you do three lots of 25 with five minute breaks 
then you take a 15 minute break yeah and at that point you right. decide whether you're going to go back to it or not so you basically it's an hour and a half of solid work but it's makes you focus on these shorter sections so you don't see the whole length of what you're trying to do yeah kind of breaks it up so that was really interesting um so yeah me and sam did some some word sprints together and that and i i find them really useful um and then somebody something else that was happening which i didn't actually realize um a thing called nano rilla have you heard of this no i'll tell you about it so, um, so the lady found me and she goes, um, are you doing Nano Rilla? Are you staying here? And I was like, staying here? Um, and I gave it a quick Google. Nano Rilla is, um, uh, so it's like a gorilla writing event where you go around wherever you live visiting iconic spots or just nice spots. Then you all sit down and you write and then you move on to another st- another stop. Um, so there were about ten, probably about a group of ten people that had just set off to, d- to do a nano rilla, and they went around the city and they went to places like the cathedral, or just sort of nice nice spots to sit down. They all sat down, wrote a bit, and then they move on to another spot. So it's a similar kind of idea of writing for an intense amount of time and then having a break. Um, and then writing some more. So I think that's quite a cool idea. That's interesting. Yeah, I was just going to say that about the exercise, like walking from one spot to the next might, might help. Yeah. Yeah, my, my exercise is walking from my desk to the kettle for more tea. Yeah, exactly. Chris knows. And you're outside <laughs> as well, which I think would help. But there, yeah, so that was an, in- mm. an interesting thing that I hadn't heard about until today. But I found it really useful. And, you know, occasionally somebody would pipe up and be like... Um, Oh my god, guys! I just got to like thirty thousand words, or you know, everybody can do a kind of way. Um, but you know, some of them are the the group's quite big, and some of them have been doing it for a long time, so they all know each other really well. It's just a really nice, um, really nice atmosphere to work in. And um, I actually got two interviews um, with a, with a couple of people who are there, uh, which you'll hear at the end or at some point whatever Sam decides. Um, and They've already heard them, Becky. Move on. Oh, oh god damn. <laughs> um, and, and one of them was saying that it's it's quite nice to come along because as soon as um, everybody's kind of head down and working, it's really, really difficult not to just put your head down and work too. Because mm. there's nobody to talk to because everybody's working and you don't really want to interrupt anybody. Um but yeah, it's just really, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. And people would just sort of come up with, like, just suddenly say, I can't believe my character's just done that. Oh my God, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to fix this? Um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Do you, do you find that the, the writings work best as, as you go to a physical location and you create that almost that atmosphere of you guys working uh, on, on your own projects? Um yeah, well, I, I feel like, um, I mean, the the sprints you can do digitally, obviously, and I did that yesterday, and I did that today with Sam, um, and I find that they work just as well. It, I think as long, I think for me, as long as there's that kind of communal aspect. Because I was going to suggest, I don't know if anybody has an interest in this, but if anybody wanted to during this week, say, 
all, all go right we're about to do it let's everyone start a sprint and see if we can get that going between ourselves as well yeah um, that'd be really good come on group challenge do it I- exactly like guys. i know Everybody for me five. that would help it's adding that culpability <laughs> uh, um because yeah. if if you, you you're having a bit of a, a down day or whatever and you're like oh god i can't imagine sitting down and writing right now if you you set up a sprint and you know that like so if i'm doing a sprint with any of you I know that, you know, you're quite capable. And if you're on it, you're going to probably turn out quite a few words if you're in the zone. So I'd be sitting yeah. there being like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what to write. But I need to write something because otherwise you're going to be on like a couple of hundred words and I'm going to be there like two. <laughs> you don't, you know, you, you sort of... Yeah, no, I... I no, you sort of challenge yourself. What was quite interesting about um, talking to one of the ladies today... Unfortunately, I didn't record this bit because I was like, we're just nattering after I'd recorded. Um, but she was like, she she did her first one, I think, in 2004. And wow. she's done it wow. a lot since. Um, and she now organises events for the Norfolk area. Or, yeah, the Norfolk area. And she was saying that after a couple of years of doing it, she actually felt like she, you know she was ready to put it out into the world after, you know, editing, of course. Um, and sure. now she's a published writer. And she's got, like, awesome. six books. And, Hashtag And, you know, um, yeah. she said, you know, and, and, and each year she knows that she has this community to fall back into. And they'll just all write and she'll write a book and then she'll spend the rest of the year editing it and then she'll release it. And I was like, that's super so cool. cool. And I really hope I've gotten that correctly because I think she's going to listen to it. So, if yeah, so <laughs> please, if there's anything about that that's wrong, let us know. But, yeah, I, I just found that really inspiring. And, you know, it, it is about kind of getting into, as you say, Chris, getting into that daily word count, you know, just getting to the end because you can edit after. But I, I feel like if it's getting over that first stumbling block of it has to yeah. be publishable after the first draft kind of stumbling block it's getting, some, yeah. it's getting something onto the it's page just getting something, it it's getting it out of your brain and onto the page because then you could you could do something with that yeah it's kind of... the longer you're staring at a blank page the longer you're not doing anything exactly yeah um, and I feel like it's good but yeah it was really interesting and I really enjoyed it and I kind of went into it thinking oh I'll probably leave after like an hour and a half or something but I was there from like quarter to twelve till um, quarter to three, I think. So yeah. I was there for a large With- portion of the day, and over the last couple of days, because I was very behind, um, I I didn't have much to do over the last couple of days. So I just managed to through word sprints and going today. I've nearly done seven thousand words over the last two days bloody hell i know and it's all because of you know it's that community aspect i think for me is quite important actually and i didn't know that until now so that's pretty cool but yeah i'd I would, it's gonna be my tip to take away from this week yeah i'd really suggest looking into your region or whatever um if you're new to nanowrimo or whatever because uh, i didn't actually because there's been a few times where i've tried to do this but i didn't know about all of the local support i could be getting so I think that's quite a good thing to highlight is to just go on there and, and choose your region and find out what's going yeah, on. I, I, 
I've, I am officially now part of the Wales region. Yeah, I know. It's just Wales, biggest, isn't it? Yeah, it's the biggest region they could have <laughs> made out of the whole country. Um, but unfortunately, all of the stuff is in the middle of town and I can't drag my Mac there because it's huge. Dang. But yeah, it was good. It was really good. But I think if that, you know, if that interests you, then you should definitely look into it. Obviously, you guys can't lug your PCs there, but you know, for somebody else, it might be exactly what they need. I will say, I was, I was surprised to see how active a lot of the regions are. Um, they are because yeah. as someone, I, I hide myself away when I write, and I kind of had in the back of my head that I assumed everyone else did that. So seeing yeah. how much activity there was of these people, like there's loads on the actual Wales region, but when I googled, there's loads of in- things that are independent from the NaNoWriMo site sure. that people have set up separately, and I'm, I'm kind of sitting there like, oh, okay, I'm the weird one. Um, well, this is the thing. <laughs> yeah. well, um, well, the lady I was interviewing just said, you know, writing is a very lonely thing to do. You just It's just you and the page and, you know, whatever you're using to write it with. Um, but having this sort of community around you does make it a lot easier and it's not something that you think of doing on your own you you don't think oh i'll find somebody else to write in silence with because you're like who's gonna want to do that with me (laughs) turns out loads of people would love to do that with you um you just gotta find them that's great companionship is good it is good (laughs) i'm gonna look into the see if there's something around our region then sam maybe i'm assuming manchester or something but see if i can steal my sister's laptop or something for a day and just, just head into Manchester, find some randomers to sit with me inside. Well, that's the thing. There, there were some, um, there were some younger. I think they're sort of early teens. They came along to do the Nano Rilla, and their their parents just dropped them off. And the lady who organised it was like, "Look, do you want to leave a phone number with me, so you know we can contact you if anything comes up?" You know, it's just really homey, and you know these kids had a great day. So that that was really nice too. Hello, dear listeners. The more attentive of you will have noticed that I stopped speaking a very long time ago, as I encountered an issue where I ran out of hard drive space and therefore had nowhere to put the recording of my voice. So, I will be ending the episode a little bit shorter than expected, which is unfortunate because we had quite a lot of interesting discussion beyond this point, but it was very hard to edit together. In lieu of that, we will be giving you one of the interviews Becky managed to do and one of the NaNoWriMo meetups. Now, as ever, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can email us at buythebookcast at gmail.com. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud, at soundcloud forward slash buythebookcast. You can find us on Facebook at buythebookcast. My name's Sam. We were joined by our hosts, Becky, Chris, and Jamie. And I'll leave you with this interview. Thank you very much. And keep reading. And in this case, keep writing. Because otherwise I'll spend all day farting around, not doing very much. Okay. So, yeah, um, it's going to be quite simple, really. Um, so do you organise the write-ins and stuff? Or? Yeah, so I'm the uh, one of two municipal liaisons for Nano Norfolk. So my job, part of my role, um, is to organise write-ins and um, other events uh, throughout the month, and just basically try and encourage everybody. That's awesome. So, um, what techniques help you complete your nano 
Um, well, for me, I couldn't do it without other people. I mean, from, from the first time I did it when I lived in Kent, um, being with other writers made all the difference to me. I think writing is a very, very lonely business and um, it's quite hard to keep yourself motivated when you're doing it for any length of time. But when you're around other people who are all busy writing, it's very hard actually to sit there and do nothing. So uh, I think it's it's great if you can find find your tribe, as it were. And in November, I have a big ready-made tribe that encourages me to keep writing, and I hope I do the same for other people. That's brilliant. Well, we just spoke about the the sprints, and it was yeah. the first time I sprinted yesterday with you guys, and actually, it really helps. Um, can you just repeat it, what it, we were just saying? It definitely to? does. I think. Um, you have, as you were saying, it's the accountability of it to know that at the end of the, the t when the time up bell hits that you're going to have to let everybody know how many words you've done. And if you've done a paltry 46 and everyone else has done 500, it's a little bit embarrassing. So it's easier really just for those 20 minutes to carry on writing as quick as you possibly can. Um, and the, the key thing to remember with sprints is that you're only competing against yourself. It might feel like you're competing against everybody else that's sprinting, but really what I try to do and encourage other people to do is just try to beat your own word count from the last time you did it. Um, because, uh, you know, we all do this differently. Some people are handwriting, some people are way behind, and some people are racing ahead, you know. So um, it can be a bit disheartening if, if you've got some overachievers doing it, but you're just really competing against yourself. That's a really good way to look at it, because I think the competitive edge might not actually help. <laughs> no, it, it can put people off, it really can. But, um, but then again, sometimes I think you need a little bit of competitive nature to, to want to be doing this in the first place, because it's a crazy sort of thing to want to do, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, speaking of that, why do you do it? Well, um, I did it for fun. In fact, I still do it for fun every year. Um, because I've always been a writer and I've never really had the reason to finish anything until I discovered NaNoWriMo 2005 was the first year I did it and it felt like a bit of a gift really because to have an actual excuse to write for a month and put everything else aside um, it felt like a bit of a gift um, because it's very easy to prioritise real life and to feel that writing is a bit of a, a self-indulgent hobby to have um, and just for 30 days uh, to, to be able to prioritise writing is, is a great thing. Um, but that said, I mean, I've, I've got six books published now, but I still have to do NaNoWriMo for fun because it's the only way I know how to do it. I can't really write it any other time of the year, so it's my one opportunity to, to get the words down so that, uh, you know, the rest of the year I can edit. Oh, that's brilliant. So you, you actually use it as a way to get your work out? And I then... do, yeah. I mean, I, I, was, um, I did NaNoWriMo, I think, for four years before I got published. So um, it was for fun at first. And I think I was three books in before I had something that was finished and looked like might have potential. And then, of course, the, the headache that is editing kicked in, and that's a whole different story. But we don't talk about editing in November. <laughs> no, it's not no. time for that yet. No. Um, and finally, how is this year's book going? Um, this year's book is actually going very well. I'm doing two different projects, um, and I've done that for the last few years. I find writing two side by side, it stops me getting bored. Um, so, <clears throat> so if I get stuck on one, I just switch to the other one. And um, I'm at 32,000 words across both projects at the moment, so I'm just about on par still. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy to just get to the 50k. Brilliant. Thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you. It was really great. I hope it wasn't too painful. <laughs>
Oh, that was lovely.